After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, a star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. This is the word of the Lord. going through my closet the other morning trying to find a t-shirt to wear for that day because let's all be honest it's the last few weeks of the semester and unless I absolutely have to every day I am wearing sweatpants in a t-shirt so I was going through my t-shirts and I started to realize that every t-shirt I own came from like one of three places it was either some kind of iwu t-shirt a t-shirt that I got from church camp or a t-shirt that I bought for some kind of fundraiser. And I started thinking about all the scriptures that are normally on t-shirts like that and how they get repeated a lot. I started thinking about all the t-shirts that I've owned that have had Philippians 4.13 on them or Micah 6.8 or anything like that. Um, and one of those like common verses that I kind of want to focus on this morning is, I will walk by faith and not by sight. So it sounds really good. That's why we put it on t-shirts and bags and mugs and everything else that we buy. Because it just sounds so good to say, I'm going to go where God tells me to go, even if I don't have all the answers. It just sounds so good until we actually have to, like, you know, do it. Until we actually have to do something when we don't have answers. And that's really kind of what the Magi were doing. See, if you guys have ever seen like the nativity story or um, even looked at a picture of a nativity, normally the star that they're following is kind of this like giant spotlight from heaven that illuminates the stable and like kisses Mary's cheek and it just looks so good and pretty and easy to follow. But I really don't think that's how it happened (laughs) for a couple reasons. One being, if I was living in Bethlehem at the time and I saw this like giant thing come down from heaven and illuminate some cave over on a hill, I think I would kind of like head out of my little house and go see what was going on. I think if it was a really obvious thing, then more than a few guys from Persia would have gone to figure out what was going on. And the second reason is... The Magi don't even go to the right spot when they first get to the land. They go to Jerusalem when Jesus is actually in Bethlehem. All that to say that I don't think this star was quite as easy to follow as we often think it was. And so, yeah, the Magi had studied the stars and they had studied the Jewish prophecies and they had put some things together and they had decided that this is what the star meant But it wasn't a super obvious thing that gave them all the answers. They didn't know exactly where they were going to go when they got there. They didn't know exactly what they were going to find. So they had to do this kind of walking by faith thing without a lot of answers. 
And again, that sounds so spiritual. Like, it's so easy for me to get up on stage and say, we need to walk in obedience to the Lord, even if we don't understand. But the truth is that sometimes you get into a situation where you honestly just want answers. You want your situation to make sense. And sometimes we honestly just get tired of walking by faith. I mean, I know I do. Sometimes I just want the Lord to give me some answers. So why do we walk by faith? Why do we keep stepping out even when it's hard, even when we don't have the answers? We, like the Magi, step out by faith because when you step out in faith without answers, you put yourself in a position to see God move in a way you never would have seen him move otherwise. See, when you got to verse 9, which the scripture reading started with, the star actually starts acting like we think it does. It kind of guides them and comes to rest over the place where Jesus was. But it didn't start doing that until after they had already traveled hundreds of miles to Jerusalem. If they had waited to leave home until the star started doing that, then they probably never would have left home in the first place. And they would have missed the biggest move of God in history when he took on flesh. We keep going when we don't have the answers. When, even when it seems like we have walked through a desert for years on end, we keep going because we have an expectation that God's going to move. And we don't want to miss out on what he's doing. Do you have that kind of expectation of the Lord? Do you have the kind of expectation of a move of God that causes you to keep going when you don't have answers, when you don't think you can go another step? Because we want to be a part of what God's doing. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into the heavens, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger, and they saw it. They made known what had been told to them, and all who heard wondered what the shepherds had told them. Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. This is the word of the Lord. Just outside of Bethlehem, there is a small village called Beit Sahor. 
It's surrounded by pastures, and local legend has it that this is the place that the shepherds we read about in Luke would have called home. The story goes that the shepherds from this village were the logical choice to announce the birth of Christ because the village's name literally means home of the gossipers. So who better to tell the story of a newborn savior than guys who had a reputation for not being able to keep their mouths shut? Now, I don't know if this story is true or if the shepherds really were notorious gossips, but I do know that they were excited when they found out what was going on, that a savior had been born. The shepherds received good news of great joy. And sometimes I think we forget about how good that good news really is. We let it become mundane or burdensome because we allow our pride or our fear to twist it. But the joy of a Savior explained in this passage reminds me to rejoice. To rejoice in the good news of Jesus, the joy which the shepherds experienced upon hearing of his birth. A joy that moved them to seek him out, that spread to all of their neighbors, and that glorified God in the process. When the shepherds hear the good news, they scour Bethlehem in search of the newborn Savior. They leave their flocks behind because they have much more important business to attend to. The joy of the gospel moves them to action. But it does not end there. Once they saw this Savior for themselves, they couldn't help but spreading this joy to all who would listen. And the people wondered at what they had heard. Not wondered if the shepherds had spent a little bit too much time talking to sheep, wondering when the last time they took a bath was, but instead wondering at the wonderful things they had to say, marveling at the good news of a Savior. And so the joy of the shepherds sparked the imagination of the people of Bethlehem. It led them to admiration of God's love and the great news of his birth. The joy of the gospel spreads. But it wasn't a joy that said, look at how much we love God, how tight we are with him, and we are something special because we have this joy. No. It's a joy that said, look at God and how much he has done for all of us. The shepherds rejoiced not because the angels said, good job, or Come on down, you're the next contestant on The Price is Right. They rejoiced at the news of a Savior. And that joy was uncontainable. It spread to others, and it glorified God. I think we need to be reminded of this joy on a regular basis. Christians are not meant to be messengers of gloom and doom. They're messengers of good news, of great joy. A joy that fills us and moves us to seek Jesus out. A joy that spreads to all who we come into contact with. And a joy that most of all glorifies God. What will it take for us to experience the good news the way the shepherds did? I think we have to look for the joy in it.
and to allow that joy to move us, to share that joy with others, not in a way that says, look at me and what I can impart onto you, but one that says, look at God and the wonderful salvation he has freely given. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been to re- revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child to Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed him, blessed God, and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your words. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and glory to your people, Israel. This is the word of the Lord. So, have you guys ever, like, built something up so much in your minds only to have it utterly, completely disappoint you. I'm talking like Indiana Jones 4, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull kind of stuff. Mm, I still want my money back for that movie. Now let me tell you, that's not the only one. I can go on about some of these movies that are just, mm. y'all just come up to me sometime and ask me about the prequels to the Star Wars movies or the sequel to National Treasure. I could go on, and I'm sure all of you have your movies or TV shows that have utterly disappointed your expectations. And like I said, we can all go on about those kind of things, but I think it's the disappointments that we don't talk about, the disappointments in real life, that are actually the ones that weigh on us the most. See, we walk through life with expectations, right? We expect things from ourselves, from other people, and from God. And I think the hardest situations in life are when God himself doesn't meet your expectations. When God himself actually seems to let us down. And that's actually what happened to Simeon. See, in in Simeon's time, the Israelites were... Just It says they were waiting for the consolation of Israel. They were waiting for their Messiah. And they knew, they knew exactly what their Messiah was going to do. They knew he was going to come and he was going to kick the Romans out and he was going to put everything back the way it should be. Because that's what had happened to them in the past. They had been oppressed by different peoples and then God would come in and redeem them and put Israel back the way it was supposed to be. And Simeon was in Jerusalem, so he heard the people, because Jerusalem was like the center of religion. So he heard the people talking about the Messiah, and he expected things of the Messiah. He watched people go into the temple day after day to worship with the Roman guards standing on the streets. He felt the tension, the expectation of the Messiah. And on top of that, Simeon had his own expectations because the Holy Spirit had come to him and said, Simeon, you're not going to die before you see the Messiah. 
I mean, how cool of a promise is that? And so Simeon has this even deeper expectation because he knows it's coming and he knows it's coming soon and he knows it's coming to him. And he just can't wait. And when I imagine Simeon, I imagine Simeon walking the streets of Jerusalem, scanning the skies, the gates, anywhere he can look, just hoping that that day would be the day. That that day would be the day when the Messiah would come and fix everything and put everything back the way it was supposed to be. Yet the Messiah that Simeon was expecting is not the Messiah that he meets. This Messiah is not a conquering king ready to kick the Romans out. This Messiah is a baby in the arms of his mother. And as I read this passage, I got really confused because I just started asking myself, how on earth did Simeon recognize him? Like he had all of these expectations about what the Messiah was supposed to be. And then here comes this baby and he goes, oh yeah, that's it right there. That's the Messiah. And I'm like, how? Like how did you recognize God in this complete, utter, like, disappointment to your own expectations? How did you, how did he recognize God in a circumstance he was not expecting? I believe the way Simeon recognized God was because his hope was in something greater than his circumstances or his expectations about what was going to happen. See, if Simeon could only see God the way he expected, he never would have seen the Messiah. If, he, if Simeon was so caught up in the fact that God had to change his circumstances, then he never would have seen the Messiah and recognized him. Because, see, Simeon had this deeper hope, this greater hope in the promises of God that he knew were going to happen no matter what else happened. He had a hope in something greater than himself, greater than this world. And because of this story, because Jesus came, we have that hope too. When we hope in something greater than ourselves, we can see God in any circumstance in our life, no matter how difficult it is. And trust me, and you guys know, life gets pretty difficult sometimes. But our hope is in Jesus, and because our hope is in him, we can have hope no matter what else happens. So where is your hope this season? Is your hope in something that could happen or might not happen your circumstances? Or is your hope in the God that you know is going to fulfill his promises no matter what? Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. 
and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. If God asked me to put my life on hold so that he could do something incredible, would I say yes? I think about this question a lot. And if I'm honest, I can think of more times than one where the answer has been no. But I can also think of times where I've said yes and of the awesome surprises that followed. The deeper question this thought gets at is, do I love God and trust God enough to do things his way instead of my way? We often encounter situations where it just seems easier to do what is comfortable for us. To say to ourselves, when I have more money, then I'll be able to do big things for God. When I have a real job, then I will feel comfortable taking a risk on God's behalf. When I'm finally done doing homework 60 hours a week, then I will have time to get involved in what God is doing. And it is this will to do things on our time and by our rules that we encounter every single day. And it gets in the way of opportunities we have to grow closer to God and to participate in what he is doing. When Gabriel appears to Mary, he says, Fear not, for you have found favor with God. He goes on to tell her that she's in for nine months of interrupted sleep, morning sickness, and all of the other inconveniences that go along with being pregnant. Not to mention the social consequences of becoming pregnant before marriage at that time. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't exactly sound like favor to me. It must have been tempting for Mary to say, you know, as great as all of that sounds, I've got this fiancé and we're getting married soon. I really don't know what my parents would think about this. I'd really like to get married, start a family, not be killed or ostracized by my entire community. Now is just really not a good time. But thank God Mary didn't say this. And I really don't think she could have. I don't think it would have been in Mary's character to do so. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us much about Mary prior to this story, but I think her response to the angel indicates the kind of person Mary was. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. We often associate Mary with purity. And we emphasize her virginity and her sexual purity, but we miss out on what makes her truly remarkable. 
Do you think that Mary was the only virgin connected to the line of David? Of course not. So what made her so special? Again, her words say it all. I am the servant of the Lord. Purity is a matter of love. When God saw Mary's obedient heart and love for him, motivating everything she did, he knew she'd be able to take on this demanding responsibility. Because Mary's job wouldn't just be to give birth to Jesus, but to raise Jesus. And that takes someone who has their priorities straight. John Wesley, who we all love, (laughs) calls this kind of love for God purity of intention. Mary is ready for God to call because her life is built on her love for him. And we know that by experience, this kind of love, this kind of intimacy and trust is not built in a single monumental experience where an angel appears and asks us to give up our entire lives. But instead, when God asks very quietly to give up your life in the everyday moments. I imagine Mary must have made countless small steps of obedience out of love for God before taking this giant leap of faith. She didn't need to be an experienced mother or to be an established member of Jewish society. What it took was pure love and trust in God. Just like Mary, our obedience comes first out of a life of love. We don't get to that kind of selfless purity in a single moment. We get there by small steps acts of trust in seemingly insignificant situations where we have set aside our own desires and said, God, I want what you want. It's not easy. But as we do it, we prepare ourselves to continually trust and love God more. With each step, we grow closer and closer to the love and life he intended for us. Mary had no idea how any of this would work. But she trusted God anyways. And look at what happens. And so, as we ready ourselves for Christ, for this Advent season, for Christmas, and for Christ's eventual return, let us be faithful Praying God would help us become less selfish. To love him more rightly. And then decide, when the opportunity presents itself, to set aside our comfort and security out of pure love for him. So I leave you with this challenge. The next time you find the favor of doing something inconvenient for God, don't think about the possible loss of a few minutes of your time, or the possibility of embarrassment or rejection, because these things are nothing compared to what God might do and wants to do through you. 
These things are wonderful. They come out of love for God. And Mary risked her life, her marriage, her family, and her future so that she could be God's vessel. All because she loved God enough to say, I am the servant of the Lord.